African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on a new week of African Dialogue. Can you believe it? It's May already, the 18th of May, 2015. The year really goes on fast. And uh, thank you for joining us once again in this new week. This is African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa, and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Moshatama, and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Today, we're going to be looking at the political crisis in Burundi, but before that, let's get our news on Ellen Zinzi standing by. And taking a look at your headlines this morning. The Nigerian military claims fresh success against Boko Haram. The Pan-African Parliament strongly condemns the recent xenophobic violence against African immigrants in South Africa. And South Sudan's government denies accusations by IGAD that its soldiers committed a series of atrocities in the country's all-rich unity and Apanel states. Nigeria's military claims it has overrun 10 Boko Haram camps in the group's Sambisa forest stronghold a day after the Islamist struck at a crowded bus station in the northeast, killing seven people. Defense spokesperson Chris Olukolade says a number of rebels were killed in the offensive in remote Bono State, while one soldier died in a landmine explosion and two others were injured. The operation to clear the terrorists in the Sambisa and other forests is continuing. His troops in all fronts have been alerted to be on the lookout for fleeing terrorists. The Pan-African Parliament has strongly condemned the recent xenophobic violence against African immigrants in South Africa. The outgoing president of the Pan-African Parliament, Bethel Amadi, addressed members of the parliament during its opening this morning. The recent violence directed at foreign nationals from other African countries left at least seven people dead and thousands of other people displaced from their homes. The issue is set to be debated late this week. Amadi says the attacks against foreign nationals contradict the spirit of Ubuntu, pan-Africanism and African Renaissance. The attacks are a clear manifestation that the dream of African unity remains elusive and if allowed to continue unabated will undermine the many years of struggle and sacrifices made by the founding fathers of our continent for continental integration, solidarity and unity. 
Volatile security and political situation in Burundi will come under scrutiny during a meeting of leaders of the Great Lakes state at the Angolan capital, Luanda, today. Burundi has faced violent protests against President Biancoronziza's third-term bid. There are fears that political violence in Burundi risks destabilizing the entire Great Lakes region. Tepo Ekaneng has more. Yesterday, Burundian President Pierre Nkurunziza made his first public appearance in the capital Bujumbura after last week's failed coup attempt. Weeks of protests against Nkurunziza's third-term presidential bid has claimed several civilians' lives and forced more than 100,000 people to flee to neighboring states, including Rwanda. Nkurunziza is not expected to attend today's meeting in Luanda due to fears that another coup plot could be staged if he leaves the country. Just recently, President Jacob Zuma urged Nkuruziza not to seek a third term of office. Seven Burundian refugees have died in Tanzania following a suspected cholera outbreak. United Nations Refugee Agency, UNHCR, says 377 others are receiving treatment in various refugee shelters in Tanzania. More than 100,000 refugees have fled Burundi into neighboring Tanzania, Rwanda and DRC, Sarah Kimani reports. Aid agencies have warned that the risk of disease is dangerously high in Tanzania, where thousands of refugees are in urgent need of health care, food, water and shelter. Tanzania is currently hosting 70,000 refugees fleeing weeks of violence in Burundi. Those fleeing say they are on the run from pre-election violence and intimidation from the ruling party's youth wing, the Imbonarekure. At a lakeside village of Kagunga in Tanzania, thousands await help from humanitarian aid agencies who are admittedly overwhelmed. Violent protests started a month ago after President Pian Kronziza's party, the CNDD-FDD, announced that he would be seeking a third presidential. And finally, South Sudan's government has denied accusations by East Africa's regional bloc, Intergovernmental Authority on Development and the United Nations, that its soldiers committed a series of atrocities in the countries of which Unity and Apanel states. The accusations followed the withdrawal of three aid groups from Unity and Apanel states, citing insecurity. James Shimanyula has more. South Sudan's presidential spokesman Ateng Wekateng dismissed as utterly untrue accusations that members of SPLA, South Sudan's government forces, are responsible for human rights abuses. IGAD is mediating the on and off South Sudan peace talks in Addis Ababa that have so far failed to pave the way for the formation of a transitional power-sharing government of national unity. The worsening of the security situation has forced three international aid organizations to withdraw from the two states of unity and Apanide. Now recapping on your top stories, the Nigerian military claims a fresh success against Boko Haram. The Pan-African Parliament strongly condemns the recent xenophobic violence against African immigrants in South Africa. And South Sudan's government denies accusations by IGAD that its soldiers committed a series of atrocities in the countries of which Unity and Apanel states. To watch what's happening at the Pan-African Parliament live from Midrand in South Africa, please go to www.channelafrica.co.za and click on the SABC News logo, Channel Africa News.
This month has been declared We Are Africa Month with the theme Opening the Doors of Learning and Culture from Cape to Cairo. Channel Africa strongly supports the project and will keep you abreast of events. Would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine oh five or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical One. Or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember, you are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Benjamin Moshatam. I'll be with you for the next hour or so, and uh, we want to hear from you as well. So do interact with us because we want to hear from you. So you can do that via our SMS line on plus 27823325905, or you can tweet us at Channel Africa or at uh, uh, African Dialogue at Channel Africa 1. That is apologies at uh, channel africa one or you can tweet us at african dialogue now today we're looking at the political crisis in burundi burundi's president pierre kurunziza made his first public appearance in the capital bujumbura yesterday this is after the government experienced an attempted coup last week which failed after many days of protesting now in his appearance uh, president kurunziza sent a warning of a threat posed by al-shabaab the somali islamist group burundi has plunged into crisis after Mr. Kurunziza said he has been seeking a third term of office. Critics said the move should be uh, deemed as unconstitutional and there should have been almost daily protests since Mr. Kurunziza's announcement that we saw stirring memories of an ethnically driven civil war that ended a decade ago. Now to give us an update we have Bernard uh, Bankukira who is a radio news producer at Radio Isanganiro as well as uh, Dr. Phil Clark who is a lecturer in comparison and international politics at the University of London. But I'm start with you, Bernard. Uh, maybe you should give us the latest. What is the situation on the ground in Bujumbura and other areas in uh, your country, Burundi? Uh, thank you. Yes, I have uh, understood and I've got you though difficultly, but um, the current situation in Bujumbura is... Uh, uh, it differs from an area to another. For example, if you go to downtown, where I was a short while ago, uh, things are normal. The traffic is uh, uh, as usual, banks, bank agencies, uh, shops, uh, pharmacies, and everything are open. The situation there is as if there's nothing in Bujumbura. But if you go outside downtown, for example, in the neighborhoods of uh, the southern capital Bujumbura and in the neighborhoods in the northern capital Bujumbura, there's still an uprising. Roads are still blocked. In some areas, there's no traffic. Uh, the buses are not allowed to go. The demonstrators, I mean, the protesters have blocked uh, the, 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 the ways. Uh, but the situation is not as dramatic as it was if 
before the coup attempt, because uh, many people are, still have fear to, to, to take to the streets, but in general, uh, the current situation is that uh, people still have fear. There is a, a elected tension that you can observe, people speaking at low voices that mm. things must not be good. Uh, so this is what the, situa- the current situation is, but in general, it is a situation of, uh, let, let me say, it's it, it, it half half. Yeah. Not war, no tension, no mm. high tension, mm. but people still have fear that anything can happen. Mm. Bernard, do, do we know any more updates in terms of how many more people have been arrested? Because last week we heard that five people were part of organizing the uh, coup and were part of uh, the protesting uh, were arrested. Have we actually experienced any more uh, arrests over the weekend? Um, it's difficult to know the exact number of people who have been uh, arrested, but... Um, Another question is, do we know where uh, Major General Gudafroid Nyombare is uh, because he was deemed to be the coup plotter? Do we know his whereabouts? Uh, uh, until now, we do not know where General Gudafroid Nyombare is, except that we know three of uh, the many commanders of the cloth were arrested after he managed to escape. It was uh, limited on Friday uh, at 9 o'clock local time here. Uh, a police officer announced that uh, General, General Nyambare managed to escape. Until now, nobody knows where he is. Mm. 
And just a final question. You, you mentioned that there's some parts of uh, Bujumbura where there are some protests. So what are the real demands from those protesters? Is it still the same sentiments that people are still against the third term that uh, Mr. Nkurunziza was seeking? Can you repeat the question, please? I didn't get it well. Okay, I apologize for that, but let me try re-establish that contact with you. Uh, Bernard, in terms of uh, the protesters right now, you say there were some in, outside the city of Bujumbura who were actually still protesting. Uh, what are the demands? Are they still demanding against, making demands against the third term of office of Mr. Kurunziza? one of the organizers of Pacifica Menina, for example, who is one of the key organizers of the protest, he announced this. As long as Tian Gonziza has never, has not withdrawn his candidacy, he shouldn't expect that the people will leave the streets, so they will remain in the streets until he withdraws his candidacy. This is the only reason uh, to fix people to the streets. Well, thank you so much, Bernard, for giving us that update. I know we have a limited time with you, so thank you for giving us that update of what's happening there. We're going to let you go. That was Bernard Bagunkira, who is the radio news producer at Radio Isanganiro, and highlighting there a few concerns there that some independent news outlets were actually closed. It was actually reported earlier on that uh, those included Radio Public African, Radio Bonisha, and Renaissance TV. So it seems very concerning there. But uh, Bernard does state there that the situation has lessened. We seem to have a bit of movements and business as usual in the inner parts of uh, Bujumbura in the city. But still, there are protests taking part, uh, taking place rather outside uh, the uh, Bujumbura, the city itself. But right now, let's move on to Dr. Phil Clark, the lecturer in comparative and international politics at the University of London, as well as Karina uh, Tsakian, who is uh, from Human Rights Watch and is a senior Africa researcher there. Dr. Phil Clark, thank you for joining us here on our program. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, it seems like the opposition and civil society groups have indicated that protests against the present continued uh, turn in offers would restart in earnest today. And we're still seeing this particular protest continuing, as highlighted by Bernard there. What does this show about really the sentiments of uh, the people of uh, uh, Burundi, according to this uh, third term that was seeked by uh, Pierre Kurunziza? I think it shows just how strong the sentiment is in Burundi against Nkurunziza running for this third term, but that even though the events of the last few days have been really tumultuous, there's been a lot of confusion about whether, in fact, the president was even back in the country, even in this situation, that the protesters are willing to come back out onto the streets. And my sense is that that's going to continue in the days and the weeks ahead. I wouldn't be surprised if, in fact, the number of protesters swells quite significantly. There were reports this morning in Bujumbura of the government putting a very heavy security presence on the streets, carrying RPGs and other very heavy weaponry. This looks like an attempt to intimidate the protesters, and yet 
even in the face of, of that kind of uh, response from the government, uh, protesters are, are still coming out. So, so I think it shows just how strong uh, the opposition is to Nkurunziza running for this third term. It, it shows how much frustration there's been with his style of, of governance over the last 10 years, and, and people really do want to see him go. Mm. And staying with you before I move on to Karina, uh, Dr. Clark, is in terms of him making his uh, first public uh, appearance, uh, the Burundi President Pierre Kurunziza in the capital Bunjimbura yesterday, he was actually citing something very offbeat. He sent a warning of a threat posed by Al-Shabaab, very offbeat for him to come up with that particular stance. Yeah, I mean, and this shows, I think, a president who's panicking, uh, who's under extreme pressure because Al-Shabaab came out almost straight away and said, actually, look, we're not threatening Burundi in any Mm -hmm. shape or form. Uh, And you know you're in a bad position when when even (laughs) Al-Shabaab appear more rational than you. So so I think this shows that Nkurunziza realizes that that the tide has turned against him, that, that the army is, is heavily divided. Uh, even within his own party, there's an enormous amount of opposition to his rule, and, and really he, he's lost the bulk of the population. And the only way that he can shore up his own power is to, is to invent these uh, you know, completely mythical threats uh, from an outside force uh, to try and justify him staying in, in power. But, but this kind of thing I don't think is going to be acceptable to, to the bulk of the, of the population. Um, I think the other element that, that perhaps your reporter on the ground um, didn't talk about that much, but that really we need to be discussing, is is the impact in the region as a whole. Mm. And, and I mm. think in particular that the refugee flow out of Burundi mm. uh, in the last two or three weeks has been extreme. Something like 110,000 uh, yes. refugees have, have fled into Tanzania, into Rwanda and, and, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, the, the potential for a humanitarian crisis in those countries, I think, is, is quite stark. And this is why the regional leaders are, are so worried about what's happening in Burundi. It's, it's not a fear that the violence would spread across the border, but, but it is a concern about how to manage the, the, the refugee situation. And, and, and so I think that's a, another element that we need to be concentrating on, the, 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 the impact in, in the Great Lakes region as a whole. Mm. Well, let me move on to Karina from Human Rights Watch. And what were your observations in terms of uh, your research in that particular area, Karina? I know there's been a lot of talk against the way that uh, those protesters were arrested as well. Uh, we'll come back to the humanitarian situation because I really want to unpack that a little bit uh, later on the program. But what were your observations? in terms of the response from the government as highlighted by Dr. Phil Clark, the heavy presence of uh, uh, the army and also just the way uh, um, Burundi's president, Pierre Kurunziza, has responded, citing a very offbeat thing, Al-Shabaab. Very interesting indeed. Yes, well, the, the situation was already extremely tense even before the... the I'm sure you know the protests against his candidacy for a third term had been going on for almost three weeks mm. before this, this coup attempt was launched. And during that time, we had seen more and more of a crackdown on the part of the government towards the demonstrators, of course, but also towards anyone who is seen as opposing his third term or opposing the, the ruling party in general. And that includes not only the demonstrators, but also 
journalists who work on the private radio stations who are broadly accused by the government of being part of the political opposition, mm. and also human rights activists, Burundian human rights activists. So the risks towards those different groups of people was intensifying as the protests were mounting. Um, we heard from your um, correspondent in Bujumbura that hundreds of people were arrested during those weeks, uh, even though they were later released after the coup attempt. But what's happening now, I think we're seeing an intensification of that crackdown. So now, after the coup attempt, the government, the security forces, and the Youth League of the Ruling Party, known as the Imbonerakure, are going out and targeting people whom they see as opposed to the president and opposed to the ruling party. And it is becoming really nasty. People are being singled out individually. People are being stopped from moving. A lot of people are in hiding. Mm. Those who are able to leave the country are trying to do so, but of course most people can't. And there are a lot of people who are trapped, particularly in these various suburbs where the demonstrations have been going on. So we're really worried, and um, particularly about the, the human rights defenders and the independent journalists who could be first in the firing line right now. Mm. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with you, Dr. Phil Clark, and you, Karina Tsetsakian, and, and look at this particular situation and uh, really try to unpack some of the reasons of that humanitarian situation where we've seen 105,000 uh, refugees who have uh, tried to uh, leave the country or who have already left the country. So we're going to unpack that humanitarian situation when we come back after this break. Bari, etise, mache, mingabu, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a brand new music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song, every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Today we're unpacking the really uh, strange situation that's taking place in Burundi, but not really strange, but maybe is a, pro- uh, a progression of how things are, have unfolded after the result of 10 years of one man being in power in a country. But uh, I want to stay with you, Karina Tsetsaki, and looking at uh, this particular situation of uh, the humanitarian crisis. How serious is it? I think it has the potential to become extremely serious. The number of people leaving the country has increased dramatically. I should say there were already several thousand people who left Burundi even before the demonstrations began at the end of April. People were already very fearful and many left before the crisis really began because they were worried about what might happen. But the numbers have been going up all the time. There are many more people who would who would like to leave. Um, 
whether they're able to or not, uh, that, that remains um, open to question. But, but there is a, a, suddenly a, a risk that the situation for neighboring countries could be difficult. And there are also quite a lot of people who are moving inside Burundi. So they're not necessarily able to leave the country, but people, for example, are trying to go and stay with friends and relatives in other parts of the country outside the capital. And that itself is becoming difficult because there are more and more controls and blocks and preventing people from moving. Mm. And coming to you, Dr. Phil Clark, in terms of really what's going on here, we're hearing there from Karina saying, hey, even before the protests, people were actually uh, trying to move out of Bujumbura and actually out of the country at certain instances. What is the reason of people actually wanting to move out? Is it really a political situation or are there other socioeconomic reasons that are contributing to this? I, I think it's been a combination of factors that, that, that largely it, it's a fear of, of various types of violence, whether that's uh, violence uh, based on political affiliation or a suspicion that people are, are, are opposed to the president or, or opposed to the ruling party. Uh, some of the refugees have, have been talking about a, an, an ethnic dimension. Uh, I, I think your, your correspondent on the ground was right to emphasise that, that this has to date largely been a, a, a political uh, mm. conflict or a, or a political uh, concern and, and that ethnicity hasn't so far played uh, an enormous role. But, but we have heard um, in testimonies from, from some of the refugees uh, crossing the border that, that they are concerned about the possibility of, of ethnic-based violence in the future and that some people have been uh, targeted on the basis of their ethnicity. So I think that there is at least some small ethnic element to this. Uh, but, but also I think we, we have to put all of this in, in a much uh, larger historical picture, which is that you know, th- this is a region where we've seen uh, high degrees of violence and, and very large refugee flows for, for a very long time. And, and that makes people very jittery uh, mm. when they see political contestation going on uh, that is often translated to you know some kind of violence and, and so people will, will often move very quickly uh, when they begin to see those signs so so people have long memories and, and the, the current events as, as disturbing as they are also fit a, a much larger historical pattern so so I think that's that's also part of the reason why the refugee flow has been as large as it has. Mm. And also looking at uh, the meetings that took place last week, we know that the East Africa community met in Tanzania to resolve the Burundi conflict. Do we know what kind of response came out of that, Dr. Clark? The regional leaders are, I think, a little bit unsure as Mm. exactly how to respond to the the situation in Burundi. That They clearly had this summit in Dar es Salaam last week where uh, President Nkurunziza was when, when the coup took place. Uh, I think the regional leaders at that stage felt that face-to-face negotiation within Nkurunziza uh, would enable them to come up with a, a coherent regional response. But, but the, the situation with the coup and, and, and its aftermath has, has thrown the leaders a little bit. And, and, and the region, I think, is still coming to terms with, with the new situation in the last couple of days. It's been important that the, the leaders, in fact, haven't said very much, um, at least since Friday of last week. My sense is that they want the situation to settle down a little bit and and probably want to know uh, how uh, wide-scale the protest will be. Will we see a large number of people out on the streets? The regional leaders will be watching that very carefully. Um, they'll also be watching uh, President Nkurunziza and, and the government's response to those protesters. Uh, will there be violence Will there be a continuation of the, the kind of heavy-handed tactics and the crackdown that, that Karina Tertsakian, 
mentions. You know, those are the kinds of things ar around which the regional leaders will, will try to formulate a response. But, but I think at the moment that they recognise that this is a very fluid and a very volatile situation, mm -hmm. and, and they will want it to, to, to filter down into some sort of pattern um, b before they decide how, how to respond. But the danger there is that, that, that they may miss opportunities mm -hmm. to intervene more mm -hmm. directly in, mm -hmm. in the next few days, that, that actually it might be today and tomorrow that when a, when a regional uh, reaction or, or some very strong statements from the regional leaders could have uh, the most impact. But, but I think that they feel that it's too early to do that and, and they're likely to wait at least until the end of the week to, 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 to intervene in any shape or form. And Karina Tsekian, your views there, is that enough? I mean, we're seeing clearly humanitarian situation here getting out of control, but we're not really seeing a strong leadership role from African governments. Well, actually, I, I think it is um, a situation where there has been more diplomatic pressure than it may seem from what is being reported in, in the media and, and, and so on. Because not only have the, the countries of the East African community taken that initiative that you were just, just talking about, but also there have been quite a number of other African governments, as well as the African Union itself, that has been really at a very high level um, trying to put pressure on President Kurunziza to calm things down, even before the, the, the latest coup attempt. Now, unfortunately, so far, that pressure does not seem to have resulted in any significant improvement in the situation. In fact, if, if anything, it does seem to have <clears throat> got worse since then. So I think it's going to be absolutely essential for the African Union in particular to maintain that pressure and to try to prevent a situation in Burundi now where after the failure of, of the coup attempt, maybe people will start looking elsewhere, people may start getting bored with it and, and no longer treat it as an urgent situation. I think there is a situation now. There is a serious risk of very violent reprisals against people who are either seen as having participated in or supporting the coup attempt and against other people such as peaceful demonstrators or journalists or human rights activists who may all be thrown into that same basket. They may all be labelled as supporters of the coup um, with the result that there could be an even more draconian um, clampdown on freedom of expression. So we very much hope that the African Union and other governments and intergovernmental bodies will maintain the pressure on the Burundian government to try to find a, a quick solution to calm the situation down and allow Burundians to express themselves freely. We're only a week away right now, actually, from what is supposed to be the start of the election period. Mm, we're going to come back to that issue of the readiness of that election. I don't think we are actually ready uh, in terms of going to elections in this particular climate. But I want to stay with the international uh, response, the United Nations Security Council's response. Have we heard anything from them, Dr. Phil Clark? I know that there were countries such as Russia and China arguing that the dispute should be resolved internally. Yes, there was a push to, to get the Burundi situation discussed uh, within the UN Security Council, but, but China and Russia blocked uh, the, the, that attempt. And, and, and I think that, that that was most unfortunate because this is a, a, a very grave situation, that there's a, a real danger of, of Burundi spiralling into something much more dangerous in, in, in the weeks ahead. And, and, and so it's going to need a, a coordinated international response from, from the UN, from... Uh, 
arenas such as the, the US and, and the European Union and, and, and others. And, and so not having it talked about at, at the Security Council in that way, I, I think, was, was extremely damaging. Uh, we've also seen in, in, in the last week or so, I, I think, some real concerns coming from, uh, from international governments. The, the, the US uh, has, has come out and, and called for, for calm and, and called for Nkurunziza to, to respond to the protesters in a, in a calm and, and, and careful manner. Um, but, it, but at the same time, it, it's also telling that, that, that a lot of international governments are, are asking their nationals to, to leave Burundi. Um, and we've seen transport uh, provided by the U.S. Embassy and, and some of the other embassies and high commissions in Bujumbura to, to in fact, uh, evacuate staff, which, which, which suggests that uh, those uh, governments believe that there's a real danger of, of violence in, in, in the weeks to come. So... So I think what we're seeing is, is concern internationally about what's happening uh, in Burundi, um, but so far very little coordinated action. And mm -hmm. the, the danger, I think, as, as Karina very rightly points out, is that because uh, Bujumbura is in a slightly uh, ambiguous period, that, that we're not seeing massive amounts of, of very spectacular violence, that the international community may start to get bored or may start to turn a blind eye to what's happening. And I think that that would be completely the wrong reaction. What we're seeing at the moment, I think, could be the calm before the storm. That This may just be the security services and the government gathering themselves again after this failed coup attempt. And we may then see something much more dangerous and a much more systematic crackdown in the days and weeks to come. So I think vigilance has to be the watchword at the moment. And that would also call for a much more coherent international response than we've seen so far. I think uh, we've lost someone on the line there, but uh, we'll get back to you, uh, Dr. Phil Clark. Let's take a quick break. The time right now is 37 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Uh, today we're speaking to Dr. Phil Clark, lecturer in comparative and international politics at the University of London. As well, joining us is Human Rights Watch senior Africa researcher Karina Tsitsakian. Uh, today we're speaking about the political crisis in Burundi. We want to hear your thoughts, so do let us know what you think about our conversation conversation today. How serious is this particular situation as you heard there from uh, uh, Dr. Phil Clark saying, hey, maybe this is just the calm in the storm. Maybe uh, we should be vigilant in terms of, hey, there might be a second response that's more systematic than the one that we've seen right now with the first attempted coup. But hey, we want to hear from you. So do let us know your thoughts and uh, you can do that uh, by uh, tweeting us at Channel Africa One or at uh, African Dialogue or you can SMS your views on plus two. Seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Let's take a quick break. This month has been declared. We are Africa Month with the theme, Opening the Doors of Learning and Culture from Cape to Cairo. Channel Africa strongly supports the project and will keep you abreast of events. We would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at... Plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. 
You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical One. Or write to us at the address PO Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006, Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you as well if you're streaming us live on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. Thank you for streaming us on www.channelafrica.co.za. As I mentioned, I am Benjamin Mushatama. We are bringing up this conversation that we're having on Burundi right now, looking at that political crisis there. You know, there's been protests. They've been taking place for a few weeks now And we've seen just last week A coup attempt that had failed And now the seriousness We've seen that uh, the Burundi's uh, uh, President uh, Pierre Kurunziz are coming out and saying Hey, uh, there are actually Threats uh, from uh, uh, Actually uh, Al-Shabaab But hey, Al-Shabaab has came out, made a statement And said, hey, that's that's not us we, We're not actually threatening Burundi But I want to move on to Yolandi Buuka, Who's the researcher, who's just joined us now from the Institute for Security Studies, and uh, she's based in uh, uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Thank you for joining us, Yolanda. Now, thank you for joining us. I know we were trying to get hold of you a bit earlier on, but we struggled with the lines there. But now we're at a point where we want to look at the readiness of the elections. I know that they're scheduled to be on the 26th of June this year in Burundi, and it seems to have become a nightmare for the Electoral uh, Commission to even begin with voter registration of voters, let alone organizing the elections themselves. Clearly, Burundi is not ready for an election, Yolanda. I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, can you hear us, Yolanda, or are we struggling with that line? Can you now? Can you repeat the last part of your question? I was just asking that, hey, is uh, Burundi ready for the elections for the 26th of June? Clearly not. I think before we talk about the 26th of June, we need to talk about the 26th of May. The 26th of June is simply for the presidential elections. The legislative elections are set to take place on the 26th of this month. Mm. And I think um, there are serious concerns about the level of readiness of the country, uh, considering um, the protests, considering um, the failed coup attempt, and the fact that many members of the international community who should be monitoring the elections at this point consider that Burundi is not ready um, to host the elections. Um, You have um, no independent media at the moment. Uh, There are still protests in the streets and insecurity. A very large number of displaced individuals in various countries in the region definitely not an environment in which we can have free and fair elections in, in, in Burundi a few days from now. Mm. And Yolando, now what would be the way forward for this particular country? Uh, how do we move forward as Burundi? Um, it seems very complex at this moment. It's very complex, given that both positions, um, whether we're talking about people in the ruling party and the opposition, uh, both have maximalist positions. On one hand, uh, supporters of Nkrunziza continue to move forward with his candidacy, and protesters have argued that he will stay in the streets until his candidacy is withdrawn. At one point or another, they're going to have some sort of mediation to either find a consensual um, agreement on the way forward, Mm. or one party is going to have to cave. Otherwise, um, we risk (laughs) the legitimacy of the election if the government decides to proceed forward or continued violence and protest. 
Dr. Phil Clark, the way forward? I, I, I think it's it, it's a very difficult period, and, and my sense is that a, a rush towards elections would, would be completely uh, the, the wrong thing. And and I think sometimes we're obsessed with the idea that, that elections are the way to, to resolve conflicts. Um, but, but I think in a situation like Burundi, uh, the, the, the danger is that elections uh, will in fact inflame this situation. I, I think there are a range of factors that would have to be dealt with long before elections would be a viable option. I, I think there would have to be basic uh, stability and security brought to the country. I, I, I think some of the concerns that the protesters are expressing uh, w- would need to be uh, responded to directly. Um, that would require concessions from the government. I think there would have to be a, a dedication on Nkurunziza's part uh, to, to uh, improve uh, the economic uh, situation and, and the general civil and political rights situation uh, in the country. Uh, it, it looks like he will now, of course, try to contest the next election. So I think if the if the protesters are asking for him not to do that, they're, they're banging their head uh, up against the, the president's will at this stage. If he's not going to concede on that point, at the very least, I think he, he needs to, uh, to try and, and respond to many of their, their other concerns. Uh, and if he doesn't do that, uh, I think the protests are, are likely to continue and perhaps even enlarge. So all of those issues would have to be dealt with a lot long before uh, there's this, this rush to elections. Mm. And, and finally, Karina, your views there, as highlighted by Yolanda Buka there from ISS, saying that, hey, uh, the country is not ready for that situation of elections. Speaking about the elections in May right now, clearly not. But how do we move forward? From your side, I'd ask from a humanitarian perspective, is there a way of solving that um, part? Well, we, we look at it from the point of view, not so much of the humanitarian situation, but the basic human rights of the Burundian population. It's very difficult to see how free and fair elections could take place when Burundians are not even able to express their views, express their political preferences, demonstrate peacefully carry on broadcasting as we heard before um, Mm. most of the radio stations have now been closed and that means that people don't even have access to information about what's going on so when you have a country that that is completely in the dark and people are cut off from information about the situation it's very very hard to see how they could vote in a in a meaningful way Mm. so i think the priority now has to be for the burundian government to immediately restore calm to do everything it can to try to diffuse the fear that we been talking about. People are really, really frightened at the moment. Mm. And I think one very obvious way of diffusing that fear is to allow people to speak, to allow people to organize peacefully, Mm. and then gradually things could return to normal. We are unfortunately still quite a long way off from that. Mm. Well, we have to wrap it up there, but I hope that we can speak again. I think we need to do a follow-up conversation on this one with the three of you again. But I want to thank Dr. Phil Clark, lecturer in comparative and international politics at the University of London. Thank you to Karina Tsetsakian, who is a senior Africa research from Human Rights Watch Yolanda Buuka. I wish we had more time with you, but we struggle with the lines. But I hope that we can speak to you again for your insights. Uh, Yolanda Buuka is a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. She's based in Nairobi, Kenya. Let's move on. We have uh, our economics update uh, standing by. Tabiso Liwoko is with us.
Egypt's government has put a 10% tax on capital gains on hold for two years, but will keep a 10% tax on stock dividends. The taxes approved by President Abdel Fattah Sisi last July as part of efforts to overhaul an economy battered by years of political turmoil were challenged in court last month. Critters say an unclear collection mechanism is creating uncertainty in the market and hampering investment. South Africa's government will retain a controlling stake in struggling power utility ESCOM. Finance Minister Ntlantanene made the announcement today saying the key to resolving the crisis at ESCOM is intervening to contain costs. ESCOM's funding gap to 2018 is estimated at $17 billion. The power utility expects to receive around $1.9 billion from the government this year as it battles to keep the lights on. Last week, the Treasury was asked by a government-appointed commission to consider a proposal to partially privatize ESCOM or sell some of its assets in order to secure further funding to expand generating capacity. Meanwhile, more than half of 8,000 workers who embarked on a wildcat strike seven weeks ago at South Africa's electricity plant Midupi are back at work. ESCOM says 5,000 of the workers back at work at the power plant have cleared, have been cleared after appearing before the disciplinary committee. Anadaku Petroleum is poised to select a construction team led by Chicago Bridge and Iron at its main contractor for a potential $15 billion Mozambique liquefied natural gas project. The company and its engineering and construction partners will work with Texas-based energy explorer, The Woodlands, to begin project planning with the country's government. Anadaku says it will make a final investment decision on whether to proceed with the project by the end of the year. Two Turkish car plants, partly owned by European car makers Renault and Fiat, remained at a standstill yesterday as workers protested employment conditions. The unexpected strike is expected to continue through to today. At least 2,500 workers are taking part in the protest action. Renault produced about 318,000 cars last year, accounting for more than 43% of the total car market. Indicators at the Sawa, the US dollar, 11.75 South African Rand, 946 Botswana, 721 Zambia, 63 British Pound, 87 Euro, Gold 1224 dollars, Platinum 1162 dollars an ounce, Brand Crude 66 dollars, 85 cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update, I'm Tabiso Lohoku. Musibudi Makura is standing by to give us our sports. Sports fans and starting off with football news, the opening match of the 2015 Kosafa Cup between Namibia and the Seychelles at Moroleng Stadium in the northwest province failed to produce results as the match ended in a goalless draw on Sunday afternoon. Namibia created numerous opportunities in a game but a mixture of poor finishing and good goalkeeping from Islanders goalminder Jose Rufese kept the brave Warriors at bay. Namibian head coach Ricardo Manetti says he is disappointed with the results. We, we went into this game to get a win, we went in the, into this game to dominate, we went into this game to score goals. Seychelles very good in the defence, you know they even played I think about five players and six players sometimes at the back and we were prepared for that. We even changed our formation to stretch them a bit and create chances. The chances came. 
but still we're lacking that cool head, we're lacking that special player that can put the ball calmly into the net. And that was our biggest, biggest problem today. Uh, for me, I think even if we had to play another 120 minutes, we were still not going to score because uh, scoring is something that, you, that must be in your veins. It must be there, it must be, it must be part of you, it must be a passionate thing in order to make your country win. And it didn't happen today. Meanwhile, Seychelles head coach Ulrich Mahot is delighted with the draw and says their strategy worked like a charm. What exactly happened is that uh, we have to base ourselves on good organization, especially when you don't have the ball, because uh, the match was more or less uh, tactical on our side, because we know technically we don't have that much of potential or talent. We still have to work on when we have the ball, as you could see. But I could see we are in a process where we are bonding our team, a new team, and for sure you start from defense. And you see it worked well, even though the, the opponent, they were a bit unfortunate, they couldn't score. On to local football news, the who's who of the South African football fraternity descended on the Santon Convention Centre in Johannesburg for the APSA Premiership Awards. It was a big night for Kaiser Chiefs captain Efo Mashamaite, who won three of the four categories he was nominated in. The Premiership Football of the Season, the Players' Player Award, as well as the Best Defender Award. Mashamaite was recognised for his role in helping Kaiser Chiefs win the league, as well as the MTN8 double in record-breaking fashion in the 2014-2015 season. Mashamaite credited his wins to hard work. I always look to challenge myself. It's a long journey. I'm, I'm 30 and I still believe that I'm young. And if I apply myself some more, you know, work harder, I think there's still a lot to come. It's the purpose, it's the universe. It's, it's, there's a whole lot of things, you know, but um, I'm, I'm very spiritual and I believe that, you know, I was brought here on earth to discover my purpose and this is just one of the steps along the way. There's a, still a bigger journey out there. It can be more than just football and these are just one of those moments when you reach a, a peak of a mountain and you still scale a lot of a lot more mountains you know to to go and conquer. So right now I'm just gonna sit where I am and just you know plan out the future and reflect on um, on the past. Meanwhile, Kazichi's head coach Shul Baxter won the Coach of the Season award, beating off competition for Mamluli Sundowns, Pito Mosemani, as well as Costa Papich of Bolugwane City. Awards, though, yeah, they're nice to have. So they're not winning that trophy is uh, a must-have. Having the supporters enjoying watching us play is a must-have. Uh, having my employer think that it's it's well-invested money, paying my salary, that's a must-have. But the awards are nice to have, and the records are nice to have, but they're not must-haves. The other awards of the evening, Mamluli Sundowns midfielder Diego Modisa won both the APSA Premiership midfielder of the season as well as a Nedbank Cup player of the tournament. Vitspe Pumlani Neshegeze as well as Munib Josephs picked up the APSA Premiership young player of the season as well as a goalkeeper of the season award respectively. Meanwhile, Orlando Pirates rookie Menze Masugu backed the APSA Premiership absolutely awesome goal of the season award for his stunning strike and a 4-1 win over Supersport United. On to rugby news, the Springbok Sevens team on Sunday finished the 2014-2015 Sevens World Series as plate finalist at the London Sevens, but more importantly bagged Olympic Games qualification to Rio next year and a second spot overall on the season log. The team had a chance to clinch the series at Twickenham on Sunday when they faced eventual winners Fiji in a Cups quarterfinals, but came short at 19-7, resulting in the South, South Sea Islanders team winning the 2014 
2015 season overall title. A 28-7 win over Scotland in the semi-final secured a consecutive plate final, but unlike in Glasgow a week ago, the Blitzbocca lost 26-14 to New Zealand. The result confirmed the overall second place for an, on the series log, with New Zealand finishing in third place overall and England in fourth place. The United States won the final, beating Australia 45-22 to win their first ever title on the circuit. Fiji, South Africa, New Zealand and England secured qualification to the Rugby Sevens at the Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro next year. Well, those are your sports news at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining us today on Monday's installment of African Dialogue. We want to hear from you, so do let us know your thoughts on today's situation of Burundi. Seems like uh, it's becoming more complex now. The fact that now we are not knowing where uh, the colonel is, who was apparently uh, in charge of this particular coup. And it seems very complex when there's a date that's coming up just in a few weeks that is uh, actually stating that's where the presidential elections should be. So a big moment for Burundi, very complex situation, unpleasant uh, situation, especially when you look at that humanitarian crisis there. But we want to hear your thoughts, so do SMS us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five, or you can tweet us at Channel Africa 1, or you can tweet us at African Dialogue. From me, Benjamin Mushatama, until tomorrow, God bless. <laughs> Some of the cooler, some of the cooler, that's the only part of the monogram. I'm not going to say, 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 I'